Good to see you all here this morning. How's the Minnesotans? <laughs> Good to see you guys, huh? Good to see you too. All right. <laughs> nice to have you. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We'll begin reading at verse 25. Um, we went last week and studied about a man that had faith, but it wasn't a saving faith. His man, this man's name was Simon the Sorcerer. It sounds like he's going to struggle, isn't he? He's got some baggage, if you will. And he literally, we left him in a, what I would call a very, very difficult position. He was actually enticed, and that's not even the right word, I guess. He was literally told to repent by Peter. Now, he'd already expressed faith, it said, and he was baptized by Philip, the evangelist. We'll find him today again. Now, Philip's going to be very prominent in what we're saying today. But literally, Simon was in it for power. In fact, he tried to buy the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Don't do that. And we find him actually in a position where he said, repent. Peter, sa- Peter said to Simon the Sorcerer, repent, for you are headed the wrong way. And he said, Simon to Peter, pray for me. Now that's evading sin. If you're not willing to take the responsibility to repent yourself, it's literally like asking God to have grandchildren. No, it doesn't work that way. God has children, and you are responsible for your life before God. No one else's, yours. And it's interesting that that's where we left him. We just left him in this lurch. There's something, there's, there's, a, there's a key component that was lacking from him. Essentially, it would have been a true conversion. We'll be talking about that later. But here we go. This faith today that we're going to be studying where literally Philip the Evangelist goes out and he converts through the power of the Holy Spirit a man that is from a long ways away that is seeking the truth. Not power, but the truth. Um, I'll tell you what, people today are searching for those literally two things, aren't they? There are those that are searching for power, wealth, all of those things that can bring them, they think happiness, doesn't work out that way, are there's in the absence of truth. We are in a land right now in the United States of America, we are in a famine for truth. It's hard to find. But there are those yet that are still seeking him. Remember the wise men seeking Jesus Christ as a little babe in the manger? Wise men still seek him. Hopefully you're, you have found him, but if you're here today, if you hear my voice, then be seeking, seeking God. And he will honor that. So here we go. Let's find some true faith today. Acts chapter 8. We'll begin reading at verse 26. In fact, um, let's just check in, if you will, where we left off last week. And I'm going to bring you right to verse 22. This is Peter speaking to Simon. And he said he had asked if he could buy the Holy Spirit, if you will. And Peter responded, verse 22, Acts chapter 8, Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray you to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Just for a second, again, where are they at? Let me maybe put the, the, the map of Israel in Jesus' time for just a moment. Before we go on, I want to make sure we're understanding what's taking place. Some really cool stuff taking place. The church is exploding. Um, so if you see Samaria, 
I don't want to get too much in, but that was not a popular place if you were a Jew. If you lived in Galilee and you needed to come to Jerusalem, you didn't come straight. You went on the east side of the Jordan River and missed this completely because they were heathen. They were worse than that. They were actually seen as half-breeds. We talked about a lot of that last week, but the gospel literally, because of Stephen's massacre, uh, Stephen's What's right? Martyrdom. There we go. Not a massacre. Ma- uh, martyrdom actually drove because of the persecution of a man called Saul. Remember Saul, who turned into Paul? He drove through the power of God, literally drove those people to evangelize into Samaria, which would have been from Jerusalem. Now the church is expanding through Samaria. Guess what's going to happen? We're going to start to see something that literally this whole area outside of the map, we'll look at it later. There's a man that's traveling, and this man, Philip, is going to be coming from Samaria, and he's going to meet this guy right down here in Gaza. Okay? So let's keep going now. And the angel of the Lord, verse 26, spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found that as a... Azotus, I think is the way you say it, Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. May God add a special blessing to the reading of the word. And let's just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the beautiful, majestic creation that you have allowed us to just indwell today. But Father, even more importantly, much, much, much more importantly than that is the fact that if we as individuals have trusted Christ as Savior, then the Holy Spirit indwells us. The Holy Spirit that's actively at work in the passage we've just read. The Holy Spirit that used Philip to literally evangelize another portion of the world through one soul at a time. Father, just like America, we would pray that one soul at a time would be harvested, would be added to those whose names are written in the book of life. Father, we pray for someone today that may not know you personally, that Jesus Christ literally would be shown full, full, and complete centered as a Savior of the world. Father, take us where we are right now. Use the scriptures to take us to a new level, a place we've never been before, because the truth is what will set us free. Father, we'd ask that the Holy Spirit would accomplish this, that he would guide us through all truth, that is the scriptures, exclusively 
Father, we just thank you for what you accomplished. We're here because of you. May you be glorified and may we be blessed. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of things going on. We'll just review real quickly. Um, Acts is the book, the bridge. It's the bridge. It literally takes us from the Gospels to Romans, if you will, and all of the Pauline epistles. Acts is really, really a critical point because if you took that book out of the Bible, out of the New Testament, you would be a bit of a lurch. If you ended in John, the end of, the end of John, and then you started in Romans 1, you'd say, huh, what happened? Exactly. Acts is really critical in the bridge work it does in designing the beginning of the church. It shows Jesus Christ as being not only crucified now, that's where we, we left and resurrected for that matter. There was a great thing that was said in the sense of evangelizing the entire world. Acts chapter 1 repeats that and makes sure that we understand where it's going to go on. Again, one of the key components for us in our study here is literally, let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is what it's all about. This is the purpose, essentially, that God had done through Jesus Christ to expand upon and to begin a new creation called the church. Verse 8. He's responding just before he leaves. This, this is, these are literally Jesus' last words. I mean, in just a second or two, literally Jesus will ascend into heaven. These are his last words that he leaves with the apostles. But you shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, that is one big, big component of a job to get done. Now, you talk about the master leaving you with, with, a, with a list. In that one verse, literally, he says, I'll tell you what, here's it. it's real simple, guys. You're going to pass the baton that I'm handing to you, and you're going to literally, the entire world is your mission field. Not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not even just Samaria. It's the entire world, the uttermost parts of the world. And I want you to do it. Now, how many are here right now? Eleven people. Whoa. What? How are we going to do that? Through what? The power that will come upon them called the Holy Spirit. Now, in the ensuing chapters, in, verse, in chapter 2, Peter comes on board and he preaches, the, he preaches Christ. Now, you'll find that that is always the key component in the church in every facet, even today. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Anybody miss that? Preach Jesus. Did anyone yet still miss that? Preach Jesus. That's it. That's what it's about. The church begins to grow in Jerusalem. It goes crazy. The first, pat, the first sermon. Now, where's the, what's the town of 3,000 in Montana? 3,000. Anything? Excuse me? Conrad. Okay. What's Dylan? Four or five thousand. Okay, so just that, that this will work perfect. First of all, the town the size of Conrad, three thousand people. Peter speaks this sermon. He says, "You guys killed Jesus. Jesus, the one that was. I don't have the temple right here, but literally outside the walls of that temple, which would be outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Literally just sixty days before, Jesus had been crucified in this town, and now Peter is saying, trust that man, that son of God, that Messiah.' And three thousand say." That is really the truth, isn't it? What are we going to do? He said, repent, confess Jesus as Lord. And 3,000 did. The town of Conrad was saved. Poof! Now, Conrad's not as familiar to me, but I've driven through it. That's getting something done now. That's a sermon that was fruitful, wasn't it? Well, then we find that we go in a couple more chapters, and there's another gathering. And Peter preaches again. And the town of Dillon is saved. Poof! 5,000 people. Now, that's just men. So it's bigger than Dylan. It's twice, probably, right? 
Because if a man has his wife there, high likelihood that if he does the right thing, this is the thing, this is a message for America. If husbands get their act together and they see God for who he is and they act accordingly and they repent and they confess, guess what? Their family will fall. That's how God set the family up, right? It's true. It's absolutely true. That's what we need to get done, right? So we have two times Dylan and we have Conrad, probably two times Conrad. Are you starting to see a, a Montana getting evangelized? This is literally in the city of Jerusalem, just in town. Now, the other thing we know is because of the feast of the Passover, there's other Jews that have traveled coming to this feast that live a long ways away. That was authenticated by literally the speaking of what is known as tongues or languages, that there was the, those that lived in a Gentile nation that in the language that they lived, the mighty works of God were magnified and mar they were marveled at the fact it was in that language that they understood it. The person, there was 120 in the upper room on the beginning of the Feast of Pentecost. They were there in Jerusalem because Jesus said, stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. And in their own language, they heard Jesus. And the person speaking it had no idea what language they had spoken. Now that's the correct interpretation of the meaning of tongues or languages, okay, okay? But here, the other part of this is, is the Holy Spirit has come on that group in Jerusalem. Now we saw last week, literally then in Samaria, which would have been north about 60, 40 miles, that Philip baptized and spoke the name of Jesus and men were saved. But guess what? The Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, why? If you talk about, you've, you've heard of the Hatfields and McCoys, right? That would be Samaria and the Israelites. They don't even know why, ultimately, at this point, 500 years of warring has taken place in these two peoples that live next to each one. It's almost like the Arabs and Jews today, except they're sort of still Jews. They're half-breeds. We talked about all that came to be, that they were drug off by the Assyrians in, in 722 BC, and they were infiltrated by what the Assyrians sent back into Samaria that were different peoples, different Gentile peoples of which were intermarried then and became a half-breed to the rest of the Jewish population. So let's say you were a Samaritan and Philip came to your town and he shared with you about Jesus, the Messiah. And we went back and looked. The woman at the well, remember that? Remember those of you that were here last week? Literally, she knew that there was a Messiah coming. They were both, Samaria and the Jews, were looking to one Messiah. And he said, I am that person to her. And she was like, whoa. How did he prove that, by the way? He said, why don't you go get your husband? Well, by the, by the way, sir, I don't have one. No, you really don't right now. You've had five previous and you're living with a man now. I think you're a prophet. <laughs> I love it, right? So you think she's going to listen going forward? Absolutely she is because she knows this guy knows a lot of stuff. So it's no secret that Samaria is seeing potentially a coming Messiah. So when Philip, when Philip says this message of, here comes Jesus, who was your Messiah that was crucified and risen from the dead, it, was very, it resonated with their spirit. They accept Christ. Now, I asked you to be a Samaritan for just a moment, slipped into those sandals. Oof, we're part of the church of Jesus Christ. And if you're in Jerusalem and you're a real Jew... That's a different church. That's a different church. So what was necessary? It makes sense now, doesn't it? 
Well, Peter and John, who were in, now the, the, beside, the, the persecution that came resulting of Stephen's ma martyrdom. Why do I want to call it a massacre? A martyrdom that he was, the, the gospel was spread out because of persecution. Well, from Jerusalem, Peter and John take a hike to Samaria because they're hearing good things. Now, who's Philip again? Let's, let's make sure we understand who Philip is. This is the same Philip of which Simon, source we've spoken of him already again today, but last week we looked at a false faith. Philip came about because there was a problem in the church. Now, there's no problems in the churches today, right? It's just smooth sailing. Everything's cool. It's all good. Doctrines are perfectly lined up. There are absolutely, and you guys are in disgust and horror. No, of course. No, no. Sin is still man's biggest problem. It was when Jesus was here. It was when Adam and Eve were in the garden. And it's still, unfortunately, the biggest problem the world has. Not climate change, not anything else, but sin. Did I say it loud enough? Sin. It's the three-letter word that literally has destroyed everything about mankind. Now, there's sin in the church today. There's problems in the church today. But here's what's really cool. When we trust God, problems within our lives, within the church, within our government, within anything can be solved when we look to God for the answers. And the apostles, I can't imagine, you know, think of this. A couple of Conrads and a couple of Dylans and more because it's expanding daily. It's multiplying daily, the word says. And all of a sudden, we have a, an explosion. Can you imagine how that would be to manipulate or to, to sort of like take charge of? Ah, that's too fast, isn't it? Have you had growth that goes too quickly? Maybe you're in a business. And sometimes, you know, you just can't keep your arms around all of it. It's too much. It's blowing out, if you will. And the apostles must have felt a little bit that way. They were the foundation. They were the ones that really needed to, and this is important. They saw their primary focus and purpose of teaching the word of God and praying. And all of a sudden, those that we would call Hellenistic Jews, when I say that word, it's those that would have been outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, that had come and heard Peter's message and others since that beginning of the coming of the beginning of the church that were out of town. But they came for a feast and they got saved. I'm sure that phone call, of course, there were no phone calls, but you get the idea. Hey, mom and dad, I got, I found Jesus. You found who? I found Jesus. You mean like the one they crucified a couple months ago there? And yeah, that Jesus. What are you doing with him? He truly is the Messiah. He's the Savior. You're not coming home here. That happened. You better believe it happened. And so what? Now we've got people that are displaced that need, have needs. Which ones would take the back seat, if you will, of those that have found Christ? The ones that were out of town. They wouldn't have a place to stay. Probably wouldn't have a career, a work, right? You, you, you follow it. It's the same. Just follow the thing, right? And they, the widows particularly, would have been the first to literally been taken advantage of. They came to the apostles and said, we've got a big problem. The Hellenistic Jews came and said, our widows are not being cared for. What are you going to do about that? Hmm. I suppose we're just going to have to step it up, the apostles speaking. How can we do this? Peter, you got time in your hands, right? You can get that done. John, <laughs> you're as open on your schedule as mine. I imagine there were some of those conversations immediately. But listen, this is what's really important. They saw the need, the first priority for a Bible teacher is to keep teaching about Jesus. Don't stop doing that. It sounds like Satan's trying a little bit of a backdoor play, right? If we can get the apostles to care for the widows, now there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, mis don't misplace what I'm saying. But it would be wrong for the teachers, the Bible preachers, the apostles to stop doing that and change focus, correct? 
So they had a great idea, and they said, I'll tell you what, we've got this big group of people now that have trusted Christ as Savior and Messiah. Let's pick seven men that are filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm not talking about indwelling. That's not a word that's used. Every single person in that place. Now, we'll see the Holy Spirit come upon them because that's what Peter and John went to Samaria. They laid their hands on the Samaritans to see that the same Holy Spirit that was in Jerusalem is in Samaria. So we have one church, one body that have been at odds in countries before. Isn't that the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ today? If you're a Muslim and you hear my voice, it's very unlikely. But if you today are trusting Allah as your God, he is a fake, false God. There's only one God, and it's Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you choose to accept him today by faith, that grace, then you are part of a family of God that includes everyone. One spirit, one God, one church. That, my friends, is amazing. But that's exactly what's taking place. Peter and John, the apostles, had to make that step, that journey, excuse me, to Samaria to essentially see the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, is part of the church at Samaria as it is Jerusalem. We'll even see it later in chapter 10, Cornelius the Gentile. But I'm getting off base for a moment. In fact, where did did that rabbit start off at? Where were we at? Just before, ah, where am I at? Mine went blank. Church, Jerusalem. Holy Spirit. Spirit. Oh, yeah, here we go, here we go. Seven guys. So you guys should have said seven guys. See, it's the seven guys. Well, the seven guys, not they were all indwelt with the Holy Ghost because every single Christian, and today it's the same way. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you don't ask for another blessing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, you've already received it. You are indwelt. But to be filled, and that is to yield to him and to stay being filled, that's another matter. The church was asked to, to, to find seven guys that were Spirit-filled, Their lives were exemplary of God working in them. And out of that big group, a couple of Conrads, a couple of Dillons, I apologize today if you're hearing my voice and you live somewhere else, but I'm sorry, I I like things real. And I'm thinking two Dillons and two Conrads, that's probably 20,000 people. Find seven out of there. I'm going to tell you, I bet those seven were amazing. Stephen was one of them. He gave his life, literally, for your, if, you're, if you're here today in this congregation, in this body of Christ, you owe it to Stephen. He gave his life so that persecution pushed the gospel outside of Jerusalem. Because we're comfort people, aren't we? We don't like to change. Or, or do you? Are you one of those people that love to change things all the time? It's not normal if you are. And you know what? If things would have continued to be in Jerusalem and never gotten uneasy, never complicated, never trouble, troublesome, guess where the gospel would have stayed? Right there. That's how it works. The times that I've moved, it's usually been under just duress. I remember a trip from Paradise Valley, south of Livingston. It's a mile city. It was not because we wanted to go. We were quote unquote forced to go because God had a place for us to go. He wanted us there for a period of time. I remember Genesis chapter 12 taking a whole new focus Abram, living in a long long ways away from Israel, was told by God, "Um, Abram, get thee up and go to a land I will show you. That didn't come with maps. That didn't come with money. didn't come with anything. It just says go. Sounds like Philip in a moment here. He's not going as far. 900 miles later, Abram finds himself in a place. I remember driving, not knowing where we're going. We're headed east, not really having a place to land. A friend of a friend, maybe we might have a place. Are you ready for that? That, my friends, that day was Genesis 12. 
That was Genesis 12 to me. He did some marvelous things in Miles City. My faith grew immensely. I, but that's a whole other story. I don't want to talk about me today. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to talk about the fact of what the church is doing. But because of that, because Stephen's martyrdom, you, my friends, should thank God's work that he did through that man that gave his life up early for us to be saved, for the gospel to expand. Seven men picked. Stephen's one of them. Another one is this Philip. Philip, he was one of the seven. We're finding him worked last week. He's come to Samaria. When, when it was pushed out, he got active. He was a preacher, known as a preacher. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, preach the word. Preach Jesus. Now, how much fun would it have been to Samaria? It's not a popular message. I can't tell, I began to tell you that. Now, today, Jesus, if I go, to, if I go downtown Sheridan and I pop into the Napa store, and the first person I come to, I'd like to tell you about Jesus Christ. It's not that easy today, is it? It's got a sort of, you kind of, there has to be a seeking. There has to be a wanting. There's somebody, but that's very true. Don't, mis, don't misread that. But it would be way worse in a place that just a couple of months before had killed Jesus. A popular demand. This guy, this guy's, he, no, he's blaspheming God. He needs to be dead. Are you ready? Right? Here comes Philip. I want to talk to you about Jesus. He was the Messiah, and you killed him. You killed your Messiah. That's the whole message. That's really, that's, that's good stuff, right? Happy thoughts going on here. Tough message. But it's true. That's what America needs today is truth. I'm up to here with the lies that surround our government, that surround all the spiritual nonsense that's taking place. Preach Jesus. Let me have the word. Let me have the Bible. But how much fun would it have been for Philip to just literally just soak in what's happening in Samaria? People are getting saved. The church is growing. It's exciting. It's encouraging. It's amazing. Isn't it? You can feel it. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, when things are going really smooth. Have you ever had your life? You had just some moments it was smooth. Now, it hasn't been a lot of times, but it has been really smooth. It's usually about that time that God says, got a new job for you. Boink, right? Here it comes, verse 26. Let's get into our text today. The angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Oh, good. (laughs) Doesn't tell him why. Doesn't really even tell him exactly where. Have you been on some of those journeys? They're good because it makes you trust God. Now, there's a road that it's not going to show on here, but essentially everything from Jerusalem is really down. So it says that Philip went down into Samaria. That was last week. He's actually somewhere in the Samaria Samaria area. Uh, Try that a couple of times fast. But there would have been a roadway. Now, Laramie, just for a moment, we're going to flip these back and forth. Well, just hold on for a second. There would be a road that would have literally went from Jerusalem, Bethlehem, where's Hebron? Hebron, and would have went out towards Gaza, and then it would wrap around. Okay, Laramie, give me the Roman Empire map. Okay, um, that's, <laughs> where am I at? Da, 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 dun, dun. Here we go, Jerusalem. So if you follow what I was doing, there's a road that would have really went around and went all the way into Egypt, okay? That roadway, okay? I'm just trying to give you some sense of the, the geographical location of what's taking place. Now, he would have been 
which isn't going to be as clear here, but in Samaria. So he would have had to go a fair distance to get to Gaza. But that's where he's been told to go, is to go this desert place. Let's keep reading. Acts chapter 8, verse 27. Go to the south unto the way that goeth from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went. Now, does that sound like our dear friend Jonah? <laughs> he rose and went the opposite direction. But literally, okay. Hey, guys, I'll tell you what. I'll be back maybe. I don't know. But the angel just came to me and said, I need to go to Gaza. So you guys, let's keep expanding. Let's keep preaching Jesus. Keep Samaria rolling. I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how long, but I'll see you maybe. And by the way, it would appear from, uh, we'll, we'll close this out in where he ended up being, he, where, his, where he, Philip, really ended up living. He probably never went back. Okay? But here he goes. He's, he went to Gaza. He rose and went, and behold, I like that, and behold. <laughs> have you had those, have you had those meetings that just like a behold moment? Like, I've been on airplanes like that. You know, you sit down by somebody, and it was like, in fact, John MacArthur tells us, this is a great story. And he would be a man that, you know, if you were, if you were unsaved and John MacArthur's seat was, was next to you, or past, any pastor for that matter, that's a man of God that's filled with the Spirit. If you happen to be that day seated next to, in this case, John MacArthur, you better get ready for Jesus. That's all I got to say, right? Well, this, John tells this story. On this particular, he was flying across the country, and he sits down, and he opens his New Testament, begins reading, and this guy sitting beside him says, Sir, could you tell me how to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? John said, that's usually a couple hours away, right? And it was just boom. But that man was just the same as this right here, literally, because the Holy Spirit was preparing the soil of the heart, Right? Now, two weeks before that, those two seats were probably not assigned at all. I'm going back to MacArthur's story, right? But here we go on this day, on this place, at this time, there's a man that sits beside a man that can literally give him the way to salvation. That's fantastic. Now, it usually, you probably know this already, it's usually not that easy. <laughs> but this is what we want to talk about. What we're going through in these steps, in these first several verses from 26 to 29, is extremely important. These are the things we need to pray about before you go or before you're even talking about sharing the gospel, is that the Holy Spirit does the initial work. Salvation is of the Holy Spirit. Mark that down. That is absolutely, it's not you. You are not saving anyone. Your message, your presentation does not save anyone. The preparation, that is the sovereignty of the power of the Holy Spirit is what is number one in the sense of preparing what needs to take place. That's under preparation. The second thing we saw was the fact of bringing the servant, right? That was a response. The angel, in this case, it's a little more profound. It's a little more, you know, but I tell you what, I still don't know where, remember that truck wreck I had, right? Earlier in that day, I don't want to go back to it, review it, except for this. And it hasn't, the story's not over. But Alice had prayed that morning she shared with me just one hour before I was in this truck wreck that she had asked that God would have me exactly where he wanted me. Now, I will say I did not sign up for that, but I do believe that that's exactly where I was to be. There are some people that were involved, not directly, because they'd be dead. They should be dead, and they know they should be dead. It's going to cause God is using that moment. I'm convinced of it, that the Holy Spirit is using that, those moments, to make them ask questions about where they would have been and that story's not over. Be praying about that. You don't need to know their names. Where is that? We need to be praying for the nation in that regard. Okay? So here the preparation is the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit, the bringing the servant to the place. Is Philip going to respond? He does, doesn't he? What if he hadn't responded? 
Well, that's a big question I'm not smart enough to answer because God is sovereign and he could have brought somebody else. But the point is, are we opening? Are, are, is our will submissive to where God wants us to make an impact on those that don't know Jesus? We need to be. See, we need to be thinking of it. As you take in the word of God today and you're here and, and you're like a sponge, you're taking it up. Sometimes it's almost like a bucket and you go and you fill your bucket with God's word. It's great, but make sure you got a hole in it. It's called a funnel because you want to be literally just passing God's word from you to someone else. That's the only way people get saved. In fact, it reminds me of this verse. Let's go here. It's a little bit early, but let's go for a moment to Romans chapter 9. Or maybe it's 10. I'll find out in a second. I think it's Romans 10. Romans chapter 10. And let's look at this. It is a little bit early, but it'll be okay. Because we've got a man that is seeking. It says under this, uh, verse 13, yeah, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ah, fantastic. Except, verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? (laughs) Does this not sound exactly like Philip? Exactly. So the angel tells Philip to go to Gaza. There's going to be somebody. No, he doesn't know that. Didn't say that, did it? He said, I just want you to go to Gaza. You go to that place in the desert. Huh, well, okay, I guess. And he takes off walking. I don't know how far it would have been, but I'm going to guess 60, 70 miles. So think of, think of this, the sovereignty of God, laying that out. Now think of the timing. And I, I know there's things in your life that has been... That was God, right? That was a God moment. Well, here we got Philip being set up to go to Gaza. In the meantime, we've got the Holy Spirit that has been working on a man's heart. This is this guy, this eunuch, this guy from Ethiopia. Now, if you take a look, you'll see Egypt here and North Africa. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, When it says, what's the word it's used? Um, eunuch from Ethiopia. There you go. Don't think Ethiopia today, that country, Ethiopia and Africa. Don't think that. Ethiopia in that day was huge. It was massive. It was almost everything south of Egypt. It would have, it would have come, in fact, we don't know exactly where this man would have come from, but it was, an, it was a huge empire. So now think of this. This man came from, obviously, beyond Egypt, okay? But he would have come from this road that would have been from here. That's on the road he's going. And guess where he was at? This is really, really, I never saw it till today. I don't know why. I just see this guy, so we, have, so we have Philip who's told to meet him. Let's go back to our Israeli map, Laramie, please. This gives you an idea of the scope. Let's go back here for a moment. As he's doing that, let's think about this for a moment. There we go, right there. So he's been told to go to Gaza. And you read that and you say, well, all of a sudden, poof, they show up at the same time, same place, and you say, oh, praise God, he got saved. But it's deeper than that. Philip was told, obviously, at least I would think a few days earlier, because he can't just run 60 miles in a couple of hours. It's timing. But who's he going to meet? Where was this guy at? Where was he coming? Where was he going? Well, if he's from Ethiopia, which, again, think bigger. It's, it's, it's south of Egypt. It could have been almost anywhere. If you travel, if you would take the, tra- the, the treat that he was about the track that he was traveling, he would have literally come and he tells us where he was going. It even tells us where he had been. This is key. Let's take a back, back to your Bibles. Verse 27, he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopia, we'll talk about that in a moment, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for, oh, wait a minute. Did you see it? He come from a long ways away to come to Jerusalem. 
I think this guy's seeking, isn't he? He's seeking. But look at this. I have this underlined in my Bible now. Was returning. He'd already been to Jerusalem. You know how many answers he found in Jerusalem? None. Because he's not saved yet. We're about to see it happen. This is like allow, God has allowed this man to come from a lo, probably 1,000 miles. Get that in your mind, 1,000 miles. Now, it says chariot. There's a lot of discussion, which I'm not here to add any to it or take anything away. The thought is it's early enough that when you think chariot, you're thinking what? You're thinking horses and wheels, and right? You were there. I know you're there. That could not, that necessarily wasn't exactly true in this time and age. It could have been like the chariots, horses were men. And they would have been carrying this guy. Very possible. I'm not here to take a position. Point is, there was others with him. And they had went to Jerusalem, a thousand mile trip, and are returning to go home. You know how many answers he has right now? But I do think that possibly, might be wrong on this, but he does have a scroll of Isaiah. Do you know how many people had a scroll of Isaiah? <laughs> that truly is a rich man's game. I would venture to say, I'm not going to ask you to even raise your hands. How many of you people have a Bible, hopefully in your hands, or a source of it? Could be a inter, could, whatever. It could, be, it could be a phone. It could be anything. How many of you don't have a Bible? You don't need to raise your hands. The Bibles are very accessible. They're very reasonable. For this group, on that day, to have in your possession a scroll of Isaiah would have been nada, zero-ness. This guy's a man of means. He is literally the treasurer of the entire territory of northern Africa at best. It's a huge place. It would include Libya. It would include a massive part. This is the number one, for today's terms, CFO, chief financial officer. You've heard another word, old-time word called Chamberlain. That's a treasurer. That's someone that would ha handle the money. This is that man. He had the means in order to buy stuff. It's interesting that he would have bought the scroll of Isaiah, right? He's a seeker. You can tell that. He's looking for truth. Now, step back from last week. Simon, what was he looking for? Power. He was looking for prestige. We were, he was looking for a way to impress people, to, to confine people within his own wishes and whims. You see the difference? But now here we go. And think of this. Let's slip into the Ethiopians. Let's see you're part of the, of the carrying crew today, right? Woof. Boy, that guy's heavy, right? <laughs> and, and, and we can't rule it out. And, and you, you're laughing. You're saying, that can't possibly be. Yes, it was. That was sometimes. That was called a chariot. Okay? Is it or not? I don't care. It doesn't matter to me because they're moving. They're traveling. But if you're part of that thing, because what you would do now to us, how many of you read the Bible out loud when you read it? Anybody? Okay, that is, that, that is really a good practice. Most of the time I find myself doing it silently. You know, we read it here because I think it's that important. I want you to see it in your Bible. Sometimes we put a verse on, on the board or something or on the wall, okay? I want it deeper than that. I want you to be able to go to either your iPad, whatever it is, I want you to be able to see it in your Bible because it means more. And when you read it out loud, it's even more powerful. Now, that's the way they read it, is they were traveling, this guy, this eunuch from... Ethiopia would have been reading out loud the scriptures from Isaiah. Now, if, if I was going to ask you, I mean, I'm going to lead the witness, what's the most important chapter of Isaiah in the sense of presenting the Messiah, presenting Christ, you would say 53. Now, this man obviously didn't know 
the contents of 53 is asking questions. So now think of this. Think of the timing of all of this. Here comes Mr. Here comes Mr. Philip. He's walking, right? Ooh, wonder what we're going to do in Gaza. That'll be cool. That'll be fun. What do you think, buddy? Huh? He's got nobody with him, probably. Just wandering, <laughs> going down. And how will I know who it is, right? You ever had one of those journeys? You know, after doors, don't you? That was who I was supposed to meet. Have you had those moments? It's pretty cool. Uh, that was who I was supposed to call, whatever. Now, in the meantime, here comes returning from Jerusalem. And I would say this. There are many people. This is, this is absolutely true. It's not in our, in our, in our lesson today, but it is in a, in a way. There's a whole lot of people that have traveled looking for salvation through the wrong means, the wrong ways. Judaism, at this point, that's where he went to Jerusalem. He would have been worshiping through ceremony, through legalism, through ritual, all of the things that are about him, about trying to accomplish something, right? Those are most of the religions of the world. I could name them, but it would be pointless. I don't want any, I don't want any one of those to stick out. But if it doesn't include Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone, then that's the wrong, it's the wrong message. It's the wrong way of salvation. There are many false religions, and they're all false if they don't include Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. Did you get that? I'm going to say it one more time. If it's not Jesus and Jesus alone as source of salvation, it's the wrong religion. Period. So there's a lot of people that have been in the wrong church and have thrown it away and coming home, still seeking. They find Jesus. That's what's happening to this eunuch. He's traveling, reading, and all of a sudden, within a distance, Philip is spoken to. Let's read it from the scripture. Chapter 8, Acts. He was returning from Jerusalem and sitting in his chariot. He was reading, saying out loud, Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip. Now, what do we know about Philip right now? Remember how, how are they picked? How are those seven men picked? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. That was who he was. He was filled. He was yielding to the spirit at all times said to Philip, go near and join thyself to that guy, to that chariot. Now, being in the desert, it probably wasn't a lot to choose from. Gee, I wonder which one. <laughs> I have a feeling it would have been that one, right? And what does he do? Now, this, this I guess, another word I have, I have, I'm not telling you to underline in your Bible, I'm not saying any of that. This guy, Philip, was exuberant, enthusiastic, and on fire for God. How do I know that? He said, why don't you, now, let's just stop for a moment. How would you respond? Um... Paul, I would like you to, to go get up in that chariot right there. He'd have me do it. <laughs> He'd have his sister do it. Exactly. That's, that's the Paul we love and know. Absolutely. Or he would say, why don't you do that? Right? Yeah, it's suggested, right. right? But first of all, you probably would not have done what Philip did. But before you'd read, you already read it, didn't you? You read what he did. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. Don't look down. Don't, do it. don't look down. I think it would be a little bit tentative, wouldn't it? You know, you'd probably walk kind of like... That guy? Is that, is that the one? Is that one right there? That guy? How are you, sir? No, look at the word that was used. This is so cool. I love it. He says, now he's obviously seen him because he says, go to that chariot. He says, uh, go near and join thyself unto the... And Philip ran. <laughs> what do you think this, what do you think his eunuch is thinking? Here's this guy running at him, right? It may not be appropriate for the time and age we're doing. He ran to the chariot. He can't wait to see what God's got for him. That's how the Word of God should really fire us up on the inside. So he runs over there and heard him. See, heard him. He heard him read this, saying it out loud. The prophet Isaiah said, oh, how is he going to present this, right? So let's, let's take a step back now. Preparation. Right now we're changing, we're changing from preparation to presentation. So what happened? What did God prepare? The Holy Spirit sovereignly prepared 
the time and place for this meeting to take place, right? Oh, this is fantastic. The guy has, has been a, he's, well, it's probably not a thousand miles yet, but he's went to Jerusalem, which is at least 500, at least 500. And now he's returning and they see each other in Gaza. He's prepared his heart. He's prepared his journey. You talk about having, you know, those itineraries that have XXX. You know, if you're in an airport, you know, they got the itinerary. You need to show up this time and you leave this time. That, those are fixed times, aren't they? If you miss that, I can't tell you how many times it's been barely, barely, just barely got on the plane. One minute later and I've been gone. That's the timing we're working with here. I mean, this guy's moving. He's, he's moving. And here comes Philip from the other direction out of Samaria. And the Holy Spirit, I want you to check in with that guy. Just get right up there with that chariot. Zoom, he runs over. And he's hearing the guy reading. Isn't that fantastic? Reading out loud. And he says this, opening. So he prepared the soil. He prepared Philip. And he was really preparing the sense of the seeker, wasn't he? Okay? All of that thing is taking place. That has nothing to do with Philip. Did you see that? Except his obedience. That's why you're here today. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, literally, you need to be only one thing and that is submissive in your will towards what God wants you to do. He's not going to unfold the whole thing. He's not going to tell you. I'll tell you what. I want you to go over there and that person's going to get saved and then that person's going to save, that person's going to share the gospel and other people are going to say, like if you think of the person that saved D.L. Moody, Again, I'm saying this wrong. The person was involved in saving. The Holy Spirit saves people. Men and women do not save men and women. The Holy Spirit saves men and women. But you are responsible for the message. That man, that Sunday school teacher that took an interest in D.L. Moody, do you know what impact that man had? And he was just being faithful. He was just being submissive. That's our job. So here comes a presentation. And what are you going to say? The Holy Spirit said, go there. Didn't tell him what to say. Just goes there. And he hears the word being written, or being read. Oh, what an opener. Hey, buddy, uh, do you know what that means? <laughs> it's fantastic. And then the guy says, this is great. This is almost like the guy sits next to a pastor that really is, is, is spirit-filled and says, do you think you could tell me how to have a personal relationship with Jesus? It's almost the same because look at this. Watch what, this, watch what the eunuch says. Uh, do, you, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, he said, how can I accept there's a Bible teacher around? Unless somebody could guide me. In fact, that word guides exactly the one you'll find in John chapter 16, verse 13, that the Spirit, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, he will guide you in all truth. It's the same word. So he's asking, he says to this guy that just, he's never met before. And they haven't met. They don't know each other. Out of the blue, this is an airport experience. This is a plane experience. And he says, hey, you were reading out of, do you, do you understand what that means? How could I? Unless somebody would tell me. I mean, it's like a Bible teacher. I don't know where one of those are at. <laughs> well, I just happened to be in the area. And he takes, now how, how did he get to Isaiah 53? I don't know. But knowing him, if he just got the scroll, I'm, I'm convinced that he probably picked it up in Jerusalem. Got a scroll. Why else would he have it with him? Why else would he be reading out of it? He's on his return trip home. No answers here. Well, maybe read this. How long did it take from Isaiah chapter 1 to chapter 53? Well, maybe about that distance from Jerusalem to Gaza. It, no, it, right? This is crazy. God is fully engaged sovereignly in this man's life because he's seeking after God. What a great place to be. He wasn't in 15. He wasn't in 16. Nothing wrong with those chapters. But if you're going to take one chapter of the book of Isaiah that could lead someone to Christ, it's 53. 
53. In fact, let's do ourselves well and let's just go to Isaiah 50, chapter 53 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 53. Let's take a look. And he was on verses 7 and 8. Chapter 53. Let's read it. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no former comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. That's speaking of literally his birth, his, his early years. Verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Speaking of his life, his ministry, and ultimately moving into his substitutionary death. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now it happens to be the verses that he, the Ethiopian, was reading begins right here in verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Those happen to be the two verses that he's reading when Philip happens, quote, happens to show up at the place that he's at. Do you understand what you're reading? No, I'm looking for a Bible teacher right now. And Philip, let's, let's go back to Acts now. Acts chapter 8. He said, how, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired, he asked Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? Now, that's one of the things that I always want to do when I'm teaching. Because I, want, I learn the same way, or I'm teaching the same way I want to learn. And if you are asking questions in your mind, it doesn't have to be out loud, but if, if you, in your mind you're asking a question, you are ready to learn. Now, I had teachers in high school and in grade school that it was more of a... Um, I don't want to say this carefully because they were good people, right? But they never presented it in a way that it would want me to learn. They just kind of like stuffed it down my throat. I didn't say that very nice, did I, actually? But I wasn't ready to receive it because I wasn't asking questions. It wasn't in a way that would desire to know more about that. Now, the Scripture itself, because of the, the, the preparation that had been taken by the Holy Spirit, this man, this seeker, is asking questions. What a great place to tell them about Jesus. By the way, that is, in fact, Jesus. Let me tell you about him. This whole chapter, Isaiah 53, can you see Philip just on roll, just on leash in a, in a way that he's one-on-one? -on -one. Now, he had just spoken to crowds in Samaria. People are getting saved in mass. He's been asked to go to Gaza. He meets happenstancely one guy in a chariot that just happens to be someone that happened to be in Jerusalem, that happened to get a scroll, that happened to be reading Isaiah 53 at just the happening of the right time. Are you picking this up? The right place at the right time. That happens every day. It happens every day. Now, this is a little more profound because we see how it all started to be because you know what happened? This man, let's go back to the, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. 
when this moment, this, this meeting of these two individuals that did not know one another, when they changed places, literally, our man, Philip, is going to be taken by the Spirit, a miracle. He's going to go to Azotus. Did you see that? Did you remember that word in what we read it? He's going to be just taken by the Spirit, poof, and he just shows up, lands. You talk about a time warp. Huh, that's a little bit, right? But that's how it worked. Now, what happened to our other man? I mean, they didn't know each They probably were not in one another's company for, for more than one hour. Never met, probably never seen each other again. Where is this guy going to go? Where's this, where's this unit going to go? He's going back home. He's going back to Ethiopia or Africa. Okay? Now, there are, there are many in the church that actually perceive him to be the father, if you will, of the church of Africa. Now, think of the three sons of Noah. Remember them? Shem, right? Shem, he would be the father of literally the Jews, right? The descendants of the Jews. That's the line of all of the, you know, Judah, all of the tribes. Then there was Japheth, right? Now, in chapter 10 of Acts, we will see the Gentiles, and Japheth was that descendant of literally us. He was the descendant of us as Gentiles. Who's the other son? Ham. And Ham's descendants came from none other than they went into Africa. So do you see what God is doing? He has taken just happenstancely. Is that actually a word? But you know where I'm going with it. And literally, this man meets another man, and he gets saved, and he goes home, and then literally the, that whole part of Ham's family is evangelized through that happenstance meeting the sovereignty of God unfolding the Old Testament. That's, you know, when we talk about numerous times here, there is one gospel. Old Testament, New Testament, one gospel, Jesus Christ. Those, all of those Old Testament saints that were asked to participate in the law system, the legal system of, you know, killing a lamb for the sins, of, all of that was a picture, a picture looking forward to a saving redeemer called Jesus Christ, ultimately. In fact, even Abraham and Moses would have looked forward and saw Jesus, not knowing his name, but seeing him as the redeemer that God had chosen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, before there was any worlds made, it says that he, God, chose him, Jesus Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That is one gospel. And Jesus Christ is fully engaged in all of that. When Noah would have landed the, the ark with those three sons, their wives, eight people, we literally are downline descendants of that. And if you've seen in chapters 1 through 2, it'll be 10, we haven't seen Japheth's descendants. Each one of those legs, those sons, shall we say, and all of the descendants of the entire world are literally touched through the gospel of Jesus Christ and spread from that. Isn't that, isn't that something? That is crazy. And on this, just happened to meet these guys in Gaza. He goes home, and like I said, I, I, I cut, cut it off, but there are churches in Africa today that look to that meeting as being the beginning of salvation in Africa. And who am I to say? He went home with a new message. Now, there's something here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. I was going to say something. but So Philip sits there. He begins to unfold. In verse 34, it says, the eunuch asked, I pray thee, whom, whom is the prophet speaking of, himself or another man? or All kinds of questions. Then it says, Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture preached unto him, Jesus. <laughs> there it is again. Preach Jesus. Just preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. Every, 
In fact, he went to the scriptures, talked about the Savior, and he talked about salvation. Those are the three components. Let's write those down. You've got to go to the scripture. Now, if someone, now, I will say this. Let's stop for a moment. If, if you've had someone placed in your life, you may be just the beginning. You may be throwing a little water on this seed, potentially. You may be putting a little fertilizer on this seed. But today, that seed is not ready for harvest. Okay? In other words, they're not ready to come to Jesus Christ. One of the main ways that you can find that is if you share the scripture. You say, well, the scripture says. This is what it's about. This is where the truth is. If there's a resistance to that, it's not today. That is where it has to be. It has to be there. Because you know what the Holy Spirit does? What did it do to this man coming from Ethiopia? Drove him to the scriptures. Drove him to the scriptures. There's a yearning for a seeker of God, a seeker of righteousness. The scriptures is where they will be drawn to. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's there because that's true. Now, it may be today that someone says, I don't believe in the Bible. Maybe it's just for a return question. And why is that? Why don't you believe the Bible? Well, it's just a bunch of fairy tales. It's just so old. It's not anything pertinent. Now, you see, you need to be able to answer some of that. What do you mean it's old? Sounds like men and women of even way back in Adam and Eve's day kind of fits our model, right? We're sinners, right? Tell me where it's different. I think people died. Yeah, they did. Um, Right? It's all the same. But it may be just that day that you've got to get them to ask about the significance of the Scripture. But secondarily, you always want to have a Savior. Jesus. Preach Jesus. That's what Philip did. He taught Jesus. He went to the Scriptures. I just, I love the fact he happens to be in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. <laughs> it's perfect. Do you know who he's, I'll tell you exactly who he's talking about. That is speaking of Jesus Christ, the Messiah that has come and literally was crucified at the hands of men, and he's been resurrected. That's verse 12 and 11 and 12 of Isaiah. He went through the whole chapter, 12 verses, the entire life of the Messiah. It's perfect. And that's the third thing is salvation. Now, one of the things that's been a trouble for America is, uh, is the fact that we've had it so good for so long that we don't even need, no, we need a Savior, right? The Scripture says a lot about sin too, doesn't it? And somewhere in there, you have to know that you're a sinner before you know you need a Savior. Because that's the question sometimes that I get. Jesus can be your Savior. Well, I don't need a Savior. I'm okay. I can take care of myself. Uh, No, you really can't. I'll tell you why. For the wages of sin is death. And it's no surprise, if that's not true, tell me why there's obituaries in the paper. Oh, yeah, that. Because it says all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. See, it's amazing how truth matches reality. The Bible is true. It matches reality. These are really the three components. And somewhere right here, Scripture says that you are all sinners. We're all sinners. Scripture, sinners, salvation, whoops, Savior, salvation. It all fits together. That's literally what Philip's presentation is all about. Now, the one thing left is the response. How much is Philip responsible for so far? Let's, let's, let's be honest now. You are Philip's. I want you guys to think today that you're a funnel. You're a Philip. That was kind of cool. Philip is a funnel. You guys are a funnel as well, right? Just the gospel is flowing through you. That's what it should happen. You're not a bucket. You're not to hold it. You're to let it go. When you're learning, pass it on. That's literally, if there's a message today. See, Philip, how long do you think he was saved? I don't think that long. 
But talk about being filled with the Spirit. That's the other thing. Are you being filled with the Spirit to level these guys were? Are you yielded to the Spirit's leading? It's amazing how troubles can take us off course. I would ask for your prayer for this week. I got a guy that I need to, I don't know what to do with exactly. It's a problem. Um, and it's eating on me a little bit. And I want to do it now, some years in the past, I've responded by, uh, you've heard me say that it's always the right time to do the right thing, okay? So the other way of saying that is it's never a wrong time to do the right thing, okay? Now this guy's done some wrong things. So you know what it usually does with us as individuals? We get on the wrong side of right because you want to retaliate, correct? Please be honest. Yes, that's the way it is. It's just how, that's, that's the self. That was one, hey, remember that young man I talked about that he asked me, he said, if you had 20 minutes of your life left, what would you tell me? What, would, what wisdom would you, would you tell him? This is, a, this is a believer, but he's a young man. He's, he's really stre- stretching out in life, and he wants to know more of how to react in life. I actually picked up the phone. I was driving across the bench, picked up the phone, and, re- and, hey, and he picked up. I said, by the way, so sorry I haven't got back to you about that question because I think it's awesome. And then within, in my mind, things started to just, and we talked for, I think I talked more, but he was okay with it. It was just short, it was maybe five, six minutes. I said, one of the things I would want you to know is don't underestimate the power of self. Self can make you do things you don't want to do, literally after the fact. It'll take you further than you want it to go, and it will keep you longer than you thought. That's the power of sin, but I wanted to say self. I said, because self, literally, the man David, let's think of him for just a second. That man was a mess up, wasn't he? I mean, he was a murderer. He was a liar. He did a lot of dumb things. And who did that? Self. Honestly, self. Self saw, self wanted. Self lusted, self got. Self, 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 self. But here was the difference. It is said of David, and the only man in the scriptures ever said of, it says this, that he, David, was a man after God's own heart. What in the world does that mean? And I share this. Getting the power over self is literally yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit. Because David, when he sinned, he always came back and saw exactly what it was. And the strength of self, as strong as it was, David always was able to overcome, not because of himself, but because self trusted God. (coughs) That was a difference in that man, David. He was as big a sinner as there ever was, but he recognized who truly was God. And there was, and I don't remember all I said, but it was just five minutes. And it was like the Holy Spirit speaking to me to give to that young man, and I'm going to leave it there. I just, I said, hey, I know you're busy. Hey, just wanted to share. He said, Larry, that was awesome. So God's using that, right? Hung up the phone. I said, that was good. And that was the spirit saying to me, call that guy. That is literally being a funnel. Wasn't of me. In fact, myself gets me in a lot of trouble as well, just like yourself. And that's what's so wrong with our society. There's books about self, but not really declaring self as being the problem. It's the fact of making self number one, as if we needed help with that. That is easy. In fact, a two-year-old, mine, mine, you can't have it. No, mine, right? I mean, it comes packaged. It's it's early on, and we just caress it. You know, oh, your your self-esteem, we need to work on that. No, we don't. No, we don't, right? 
I'm picking on Paul today. But. Amen. <laughs> Straight from sister. Right? <sighs> I'm trying to think where I was before I dove off on that little trail. Um, Yeah. And that's literally, yeah, and then we are. That's exactly true. It's not about us. It's about God using us. Be available, right? Just be available. He'll do, he'll do stuff that you can't even imagine. Look at Philip. I mean, just two days before, I mean, he was having a blast speaking to crowd. I'm sure it was because Samaria was under a full evangelization explosion. Things were cooking. And all of a sudden, the angel shows up. Hey, Philip, old buddy, old pal, I want you to go to Gaza by the desert. And it says that. <laughs> and he meets somebody one-on-one. I mean, even moving away from that, you'd say, huh, that was cool. Well, we're not done. Let's keep reading our story. Let's keep going. He shares with him. And in verse 36, as they were went on their way, it came onto a certain water. Now, what are the chances if you're on Gaza Road which is a desert. It spoke of that earlier. There's some water. Did it rain really hard two days before and you got a pool there? Wouldn't be past God, right? And then the eunuch, which I have a feeling that he would have been known about baptism because if he was a Judy, uh, let's see, what do I want to say? A Judaism proselyte, which he probably couldn't have been fully because of him being a eunuch, At the same time, he would have known of baptism, of being part of that, because it's an identification with. But it's obvious that Philip probably would have shared as well, because part of the recipients of those that had trusted Christ to show their outward confession that they are, in fact, followers of and acquainted with, and um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Associated with Jesus Christ, that baptism was that public statement. It was the public outward statement of being aligned with Christ. And in that day, it's even more important than for us today because they killed Jesus two months before. And when you take a stand and you went down into the water and came up out of the water, you had taken a stand. You had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a statement. So here we go. We're traveling along. And it seems like they never stop traveling. You just keep moving. And, you know, I'm wondering, Philip's thinking, you know, we're kind of getting further away from where I was going, so to speak, but no, he's cool, right? We're just moving. You see this body of water in the desert way, and he says, hey, here's some water, the eunuch says. What, what hinders me from being baptized? So obviously, he's responded by faith to the message, the gospel message, and he now wants to be fully engaged in the sense of being identified with this Jesus. Now, verse 37 it isn't, I, this, this, no, don't let it rock your world, but verse 37 is not in the ancient manuscripts, not there. Is there anything wrong with it? No, of course not, not at all. In fact, it matches Romans chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It's perfect, but it's not in the ancient manuscripts. Probably some scribes said, hey, we need to make sure that we button that up. You just don't get baptized. But it's obvious from the response that he believed the word that Philip had revealed. So let's go verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. 
Now that's a really interesting thing. They continue down the Gaza Road. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's this body of water. And it says they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. Now, verse 37, let's read it because there's nothing wrong with it, but it's not in the ancient manuscripts. It says this, Philip said, what, in other words, what keeps me from being baptized? He said, if thou believest with all thine heart that thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That is perfect. But it's not there in the ancient manuscripts. But you can find it throughout the rest of the Bible. No, not at all. But obviously that he did that because Philip was comfortable in, in, in baptizing him right then. Now, this is, think of this for a moment. They've probably met for an hour. I don't know. It doesn't take long. You can tell. It would be like sitting next to someone that says, Could you, would you be able to tell me how to be saved? That doesn't take long then, does it? You just share the gospel. I wouldn't think it would have been very long. Is it a half hour? Is it 45 minutes? I don't know. Not very long. And all of a sudden, they find the body of water. They go down. They dunks him, picks him up. He immerses, drops out. Boom! Philip's gone. Where'd he go? And at the same second, guess where he's at? He's over here in old Ashdod or Azotus. I can't ever say, maybe I'm not even saying it right, but I say Azotus, but I'm going to go with Ashdod because I can say that. Ashdod. The old Ashdod, which would be part of Philistia country. He finds himself, he's just baptized somebody, and he's now in... Oh, I know where I'm at. This is Ashdod. How did I get here? It's 20 miles, by the way. Woof! He's there. Now, tell me the difference between the false faith. Now, I shouldn't even call it that because Mr. Simon the Sorcerer last week, did he show faith? Yes. Yes, he did. He had faith in who? Himself. He wanted to add on. He wanted to add some baggage to the luggage he had already to be able to fool people. And he just wanted one more bag called the Holy Spirit. It's getting heavy, but we'll just keep trucking along, right? Where did we leave him last week? Stop before you answer that question because you're, you're, well, he wasn't saved. No, no, stop. How do we know he wasn't? How did we just find the eunuch? Now, he's popped out of the water, been baptized, been identified with Christ, sees him as the Messiah, still going to go home. And this Philip, this guy he's just met, that he'd want to say, I love you, man. I mean, this is great. Thanks so much. He's gone. He's not, he couldn't even say goodbye. Gone, gone. He doesn't know where. And how did he respond? What's the word? What's the word? Read it. What does it say? Let's read it together. Glasses. There we go. When they were come up out of the water, verse 39, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Simon the sorcerer, he had faith in himself. He was trying to buy the Holy Spirit. And what? We don't even, we just know, ah, Peter, why don't you pray for me that that doesn't happen? I, 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 I. Is there any joy in that? Of course not. He hadn't been saved. Someone that's been saved, that has trusted Christ as Savior, when the Holy Spirit moves in, there is joy because you see what you've been saved from. You see, Simon, he wanted to get stuff, and that stuff didn't come. There's no joy. He's an unsaved man. He has faith, but it's not a saving faith. The eunuch... That's a saving faith. Now, a couple little things to, did you see that word candace? Or some would say candace, but it's candace, I think is the way that actually is said. Um, so let's go to, to Ethiopia as that country was called in that day. The king of Ethiopia actually was seen as, from the people, as a child of the sun, S-U-N. 
and that was a sun-worshipping country, okay? So he was seen as being so sacred, so valuable, that he as king really couldn't do anything but just be the king, okay? So all of the responsibilities would have fallen on the queen mother. She was responsible for everything, okay? Now the Candace, if you heard in Egypt, there would be like a pharaoh, right? That's the name of a ruler, pharaoh. Candace would be the female form of pharaoh. So when you see Candace, it would be like the pharaohess, that's not the word, but the feminine form of the leader or the Candace of the Ethiopian queen, okay? Just tying in a few little trivial things which I find that interesting. So the king did nothing, the queen mother did everything. And this guy, this eunuch, which was literally um, made to be a servant of a harem, if you will, of this queen mother, his job was the chief financial officer. He took care of all of the money. You know how much money he probably had access to? As much as he wanted. Guess how happy he was. That's why we usually go a thousand miles from home and go somewhere looking for God because we're not happy at home. There's people who are chasing religions, they're chasing a new age, they're chasing all kinds of things that literally at the bottom of that well is nothing but more emptiness. I find that interesting. This, that, that, that thing returned is so cool to me. God let him go. He, now, again, the apostles are in Jerusalem. But that's not what his focus would have been. He would have went to, probably to the temple, would have been in the, in the outdoors, the, the, the um, what's the right word, uh, of the Gentiles. What's that? Court, court of the Gentiles. He couldn't have went onto the inner side, but he would have went there searching for God. But where did God get him on the return trip? Have any of you ever spent time in a false religion? Have you ever chased after God in a, fall, in a wrong way, went the wrong direction, and on your way back, pretty discouraged, honestly, so look, got a lot of questions. You know what? It's the best place when you have questions. There's been drunks, alcoholics that are as low as you could possibly go. There's nowhere down. It's only sideways. And they were at the bottom, and the only way you could do it was to look up. That's a great place for God to find you. Uh, too much of America and the world today is so affluent that it's hard for them to see they even need a God. And we bounce into those people all the time, don't we? They're not questions. There's only answers. They have statements. They don't have questions. This man is perfectly prepared by the soil. His soil of his heart was prepared by the Holy Spirit. Philip was prepared to show up at the right place. The scriptures were opened because that's where the, the, the Spirit will lead you. And again, I want to say this carefully again. When you're bold with the Word of God, don't be discouraged when they put their arms or hands up, the wall goes up, oh, I don't believe in the Bible. Then that's the time to just take a step back and ask questions of your own. Don't make statements, ask questions. Well, why do you believe that the scripture's not true? Do you see what I'm saying? Just keep working through. What you are doing is you're part of the preparation of the Holy Spirit for the next Philip. Now, the chance of you having someone to come up to you tomorrow in the Napa store, Larry, hey, I've been waiting for you. Could you tell me how to be saved? And you're smiling because that's not normal, is it? Because Satan is blinding the eyes of those that are not in Jesus Christ's fold. That's his job. He loves to blind the eyes. That's what society does. That's why there's wealth and there's power and there's politics and there's everything. All of those things lead people away from Jesus. It blinds their eyes. 
But when you can get in the, in the boldness of preaching Jesus, you may be part of the start to opening their eyes to the Spirit preparing as the eunuch in the chariot. Hey, do you know what you were reading there? Oh, man, I don't know. I'm looking for a Bible teacher. Hey, I could tell you a few things. This is what the Bible... I don't know where you're at in all of that mix, but those steps, those journey of your life steps that God is preparing you for, you're in every single aspect of those. Your life. Boy, I wonder why he's, man, that, that was trouble now. He responded, that was crazy. I don't know if I could do that. I wonder what's different about him or her. See, those are all things that literally is preaching Jesus. Are you a funnel today? Are you passing it on? That's what God wants you to be. That's what he wants you to do because that's what the world needs. I just look at this. I mean, isn't this fantastic how the church is just exploding? We went through only eight chapters, and we have, this, and we have seen the church literally just take root, and it is going crazy. Next week, we're going to run into a man. He's a, well, how would I describe him? He was a terror. I'm thinking, remember that, now this is, sounds really stupid, but why would this pop into my mind? I have nothing to think about except right now it just popped in my mind. Saul would be like, you ever watch those cartoons, Bugs Bunny and those? The Tasmanian devil. That would be a picture of Saul. He was a maniac. He, would, he was just torturing and beating and persecuting Christians at every possible level. And guess what he's going to run into? He's going to run into Jesus. He's going to have a meeting with Jesus. Now, I ask you to pray for me this week. I've got, a, I've got a situation, a meeting that I need to have. It needs to be face-to-face. I would rather have done it through a text because texts are impersonal, right? And you can sort of say stuff, and then you don't have to do any more about it, right? Now, I think God impressed upon me today that this needs to be a personal meeting. There's been some things that they need to be talked about. Now, I want, here's what I want. I don't want just best for me. No, that's, that's out of the question. What I want is best for that man in the sense of, I don't know where he is with Jesus Christ. I don't have any idea. But I want myself to yield to the Spirit so that I can say the things that need to be said and not the things that I would like to say if self was in charge. Okay? I would appreciate that. Because it's been bugging me. Have you had those just, just gnawing at you? You know that like a drill, a dentist drill? I don't like that. It needs to be dealt with, but we've got to do it in God's way, God's time. Right? I'd appreciate that. What do you think? Comments, questions, go get them, right? Now, the really cool thing is it's not just words. It's your life as well. Your life speaks volumes. In fact, the worst thing we could say is to say the right things and then do the wrong things, right? That's like taking those words. It doesn't matter. But when those two things line up in where your spirit, your life, your mind, everything is yielded to, 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 to the Holy Spirit, that's when things are changed. I'm telling you, this, this is crazy how this church is moving and rolling on right now. But we're going to run in, Saul's going to run in, I'm sorry, yes, Saul is going to run into Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Gentile world, the Japheths, are going to be reached. The uttermost part. See, if we go back to Romans, Romans Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem's been impacted by Jesus. What a place to start. They killed him there. That's where they started. And then they went to Samaria. The, the Samaritans, I mean, the, what, what? And then, you know what? The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit was on them. And then thirdly, literally, we're going to see the Gentiles be saved. We've actually seen one of the sons of, of Jonah, not Jonah, the sons of, of Noah, that's going to really spread the gospel through Africa. Saw it today. One man starts with one soul. Those, I, coming back to the, uh, the Akka Indians, 
those ones that killed those five men, those missionaries in Ecuador, and thinking of their lives and how they were snuffed out. If we from the outside look in and say, oh, what a waste, 28 years old to 32 years old, love Jesus, are on fire for Jesus, and they just gave their lives up. When you give your life to God, it's never, never, never in vain. Never in vain. There are people saved. There are people getting saved. Because remember, I played that little clip a few weeks ago with the son of the pilot. Nate Saint was the pilot that brought those men into the beach. And his son, which was just a little, the little a lad, and literally he being baptized by two of those tribes members that killed his father. And that tribe, now they're not all saved. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But the gospel was presented, and there were the eunuchs of Ethiopia that came and trusted Christ. That's what the kingdom's about. Not countries. One soul at a time. Are we ready? Are we up to task? Ready to pass baton? Tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, maybe 7 o'clock, maybe 6 o'clock, things start to unravel already, right? Have you had a Monday like that? Gets started wrong the right, well, the right way, wrong the right way. It doesn't even make any sense. That's Satan trying to take you off your game plan. Stay the course. Stay on the journey. One step at a time, just preach Jesus. Stay with the scripture. Stay with the Savior. Stay with salvation. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> God is in charge. Always has been. Always will be. And I look forward to the day when I can look in the eyes of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to see his nail-scarred hands. And I want to just fall at his feet. And thank him. Because he saved me. Let's pray. Father God, what a powerful, awesome, sovereign God you are. We look at the timing of how you brought Philip at just the right time. You had the eunuch returning from Jerusalem at just the right time to meet on just the right road in just the right chapter. And his heart had been prepared for just the right words. It really is amazing. It's miraculous, which it truly is. Father, thank you for all that you're doing, all you're accomplishing. Take these people here today, each and every one, man, woman, and child, that you would steer them in their life's journeys on a pathway that makes you get all the glory. Father, bless us, and you do that when we yield to the Spirit. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in all in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgot one thing. Laramie, I'm going to have you put up um, Paul's second missionary journey. Stay with me on Philip for just a moment. Okay, do we get that? Okay, here we go. This is Paul's second, let's see, second journey. Yeah, okay. The, the, blue, the blue line, I believe, is the second. No. Which one is, Larry? The green one? Green one. Green one, yeah, okay. So the green one. Now, if you look here a second, I, I, I actually, we didn't finish. I hate that when I don't do that. But there's a little town called Caesarea, okay? Take your Bibles, and you're still in Acts chapter 8, potentially. Let's go really quickly here. They were come out of the water, and the Spirit took away Philip. And it says in verse 40 that Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to... Caesarea. Now, if you were going to do a coastal walk, a beachfront property evangelization program, he would have went from Azotus, and he would have just went right up that coast, and about 60 miles north would have been this place called Caesarea. 
Now, what I want to do is I want you to go to Acts chapter 21, verse 8. On this journey that, that Paul is returning, literally, he's going to end up in Jerusalem and tell what's gone on, he stops in Caesarea. Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. And this will literally just take a second. Acts chapter 21, verse 8. The next day, well, let's, verse 7. When they had finished our course from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus and saluted the brethren and abode with them one day. Now, if you see right here, there's Ptolemus, okay? This is the end of the journey, if you will. That's where they landed. And then verse 8, it says, The next day we were of Paul's company, departed, and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, which tells us he's back in Acts chapter 6, and we abode with him. This is 20 years later. So in this journey to meet the guy at Gaza, he literally is taken by the Spirit into, into Azotus, Ashdod, my word, and he ends up going up the coast to Caesarea, and that's where he lands. And for 20 years, he's preaching right there in Caesarea. And Paul sees him on his second missionary journey. Is that not cool? That's got to work. And he got to be known as Philip the Evangelist. Are we going to be evangelists? Are we going to share the gospel? Be just like, be a funnel. Let it pass through. Okay, that's it.